You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Diary Podcasts with your host, Kai. I guess we're back again for another episode with Paul, uh, mm. Distributive Shock, which is, which is very, very interesting. Um, a lot to it, so it's probably going to be a bit of a long one, Paul. Mm, yep. um, thanks for coming along again. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank everybody for the support for the first one, and um, on we go. Yeah, yeah, they're listening to it around the world. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> the so. dulcet tones, mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, yeah, look, fantastic. Look, great again. Mm. Um, I think you know, as you deep dive into this topic more and more, it starts getting more and more. Well, I won't say confusing, but there's so much that it entails and um, you know distributive as a basic you know and specifically with septic shock mm. which we deal with basically on, on a regular basis and you know a lot of this discussions was all about you know what people are going to come up against while they're working so um and just putting something an understanding to what you're seeing straight in front of you that's it. So, so we'll just um, distributive shock. We'll just just talk about it briefly, and then I think we'll go into anaphylactic. We'll go into septic, and we might even touch on neurogenic. Yep. Um, distributive shock. What is it? Just great, you know. And I think we touched a little bit on, on this you know, on the first discussion, and it was all about you know what my volume status is, what my capacity is, and obviously from a distributive shock point of view, we suddenly have some sort of distribution failure and you know I try to keep it fairly simple in saying that you know if I've got five litres of volume in me and I've got the capacity to hold five litres then everything's probably running fairly well but if I then dilate everything if I systemically my systemic vascular resistance starts falling then that capacity is increased from whatever it is, five litres, and again, we're just guesstimating a little bit, could go to eight litres or ten litres, and suddenly that pipe, which is holding all the fluid, suddenly dilates, and uh, we have a distribution of fluid that doesn't allow me to return it to the right side of my heart and give me preload to then have afterload. So... And again, if we come back to going, you know, what a shock. And shock is just my inability to perfuse my tissues. And, mm. um, and hence, distributive shock will do that. Mm. And, and when we talk about anaphylactic, septic and neurogenic, they obviously all have different mechanisms of how they work, but they all achieve the same thing, which is permeability and dilation of the vessels. Yes. Uh, yeah, dilation, um, permeability, or, you know, the permeability of it is there on some of them mm. but again you know I, all I need to do is you know have a bucket that holds five litres and try to put it in a bucket that holds ten litres and suddenly you know the distribution of that whole fluid is different um, permeability could mean then that the bucket's got some holes in it and we're starting to push that into other areas but you know that just that straight distributive um, situation of suddenly having this massive capacity which then just won't allow my body to return fluid to the right side of my heart to fill it up to then push it around and push it out again so yes it's like we talked about with cardiogenic um, hypoperfusion yep. all shock states that's what it comes down to absolutely and, you know we keep, keep it fairly simple and just going you know it's the inability to get oxygen out to the tissues and, you know, my body's just one big tissue, and if if I can't get it out to them, then we go from, you know, sort of a, a low state of oxygen, which goes to ischemia, which then goes to necrosis, which then goes to organ failure if we don't treat it correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's in all states of shock. Mm, definitely. So the anaphylactic shock, I guess we'll, we'll go into this, and... Um Cause of anaphylactic shock, I think it's anaphylaxis or allergic reactions, and I'll let you take that one. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. so you know, we, you know, me and you sort of would have a reactions to something on mm. a regular basis, um, but you know, our body whole, you know, sort of maintains that in in one place. It gets localized, and we deal with it. And my body deals with it fairly well. 
obviously from, from an anaphylactic point of view, we have this hypersensitivity, which, you know, if we want to dive down into it a lot deeper, you know, we've got Ig antibodies, which then, you know, um, work with mast cells in this hypersensitivity and hyperreaction from mast cells, which then release this inflammatory process of histamines, you know, and, and I know we talk about, you know, cytokines and histamines and leukotrienes and all that sort of thing, but, you know, we look at it mainly from a, an emergency point of view and, you know, the histamine release, which is just global, you know, just it's out of control, which then creates all the problems. Because, you know, just having a, a reaction to something, that's okay. I'll deal with it, you'll deal with it, our body deals with it, and, and it heals. In that inflammatory process, you know, we talk about inflammation and what is inflammation. And, um, you know, we've got five causes or five uh, causes of inflammation. Don't you know, we have redness, we have swelling, we have pain. Heat, heat's a good one. And then, you know, the, the other one, obviously, is if you're doing it near a joint, then we'll have immobility of that joint itself. So then we talk about reactions to a process, inflammation, and then obviously the large one is, you know, having that anaphylactic, life-threatening uh, reaction to an, an antigen, which is entered into our body, and there's a process there which it becomes, you know, drawn up and once they drawn up sorry um your know, body then looks at it and creates an antibody which is an IgE antibody which is you know it's, um connected to a mast cell mm. which then has this hypersensitivity and just they just go just goes crazy when we talk about mast cells mm -hmm. uh, and anaphylactic or well, anaphylaxis just in general got histamines, basophils, leukotrienes. Um, histamines is obviously the main thing that's going to cause systemic vasodilation. Yes. Um, yes. Can you just go through histamines, leukotrienes and um, basophils, well, just what they're going to cause overall? I think, you know, from a, from a histaminergic point of view, um, histamines will react on, on the vasculature. Um, so we've now vasodilating and we are and as we discussed before we start becoming it becomes very permeable as well and uh, when we're talking about permeability and permeability in areas where you know we you know start having a lots of problems and you know, we'll talk about laryngeal edema and you know edema around the areas of the airways because already histamines will do two things one thing it'll do it is it'll do it'll create bronchoconstriction. Right. So bronchoconstriction and vasodilation is the effects of histamines. So now when we now have permeability as well, we start creating shifting and movement of fluids into areas which are now already constricted. So you know, we get a bronchoconstriction and now we're going to put fluid around that area as well. And I think, you know, many times we've seen many pictures of people suffering from some sort of anaphylactic reaction and we've got this massive moon face of just edema of, you know, um, laryngeal edema and, and, you know, facial edema and, you know, the lips are swollen and and they're struggling to breathe. So that's the effect of histamines. And, um, you know, we have certain types of histamines in our body. There's quite a few. So, you know, there's, there's ones that we control fairly easily and there's others that we don't. Mm. So, and it all comes down to that, you know, Ig antibody reaction to an antigen and we're having, you know, you know, again, our body sees something foreign and it goes out and has this inflammatory process which just takes off. Mm. And um, obviously in some certain circumstances, very, very difficult to control. 
and you know, I suppose these days with peanut allergies and you know, we have you know, and I've done this to myself, is that, you know, people have no idea that they were allergic to a penicillin and we've, you know, administered a penicillin and suddenly we're going, we better get the adrenaline out because, you know, this poor guy's gone from having some sort of septic condition which we need to treat and now we're filling him through full of um, um, adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, and still have the problem of the uh, the infection as well. So we've got to go back to that as well. Yep, yep. So for our like paramedics, um, our nurses, doctors, anything, it's just talk about the clinical signs and symptoms of anaphylactic shock. So there's obviously airway, we've got cardiovascular changes and even GI changes. Yep. Um, what would we see in anaphylactic shock? Yep, yep. Classic. Again, you know, I think a lot of us would look at someone who's has, an, has a, a reaction and again it's very different to a life-threatening reaction so again go back to you know that obviously that upper es- uh, respiratory sort of wheeze um, that whole and, you know you talk to these people and they struggle they struggle to talk they are very highly anxious and when we talk about you know anxiety kicking in with everything else and you know suddenly we're releasing you know endogenously we're releasing adrenaline into our system which then increases our heart rate and you know all we're trying to do is settle these people down Um, and then obviously with edema and we can see that fairly clearly you know that could be you know cyanized lips um you'll see the airway actually distended. So um, you look at these people and go, it's pretty quick, pretty quick to be able to come up with some sort of... Um, well, well, again, it's a different, is it a differential, it's a provisional, it's actually, that's what I'm going to diagnose as. Mm-hmm, definitely, yeah. So, so we talk, talk about it. One interesting yeah. one is mm-hmm. that, you know, I... How do, you know, we have all these other, you know, with anaphylactic reactions, and um, there's an interesting one which was exercise-induced anaphylactic reactions. Sports people are coming up and, mate, they've done sport all their life, and suddenly, you know, we've been called out to see someone who's a, you know, a very good runner, and you look at them and go, wow, what is going on? You know, dyspnea, struggling to breathe, nothing different in their life, and suddenly we've got exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Good luck working that one out at times. And again, it's probably just with experience you'll find that, you know, we could you know, look at these situations and go, well, something's going on. I need to do something because they're struggling to breathe. Um, so, you know, again, what are the contraindications to adrenaline? None. 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 Yep. <laughs> exactly right. Not a great drug. Um, you know, we talk about. Oh, good. Go. That's another discussion <laughs> about advanced life sport and the use of adrenaline in that as well. But um, yeah, just interesting. Even just people just having a quick look at that. You know, exercise-induced anaphylaxis. So it's interesting. I guess that's where your history taking comes in majorly. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that'd, be, that'd be hard to identify. Though, very, very mm. hard. Yes. Mm. Yes. So we talk about anaphylactic shock. Um, what are we expecting their blood pressure to be like? Is there an early stage or a late stage? Mm. Obviously, we talk about our four stages. Yep. Um, yep. Is that just going to be permanently low because they're dilated? And Look, I mean, you know, you, you, most people that you're going to deal with in, in this sort of condition, an anaphylactic, I mean, am I going to sit there and go, look, by the way, while you can't breathe, I'm going to take your blood pressure? We're going to act very, very quickly. And, you know, I suppose ethically it probably wouldn't be too good to, you know, (laughs) put people into this position and go, by the way, I want to check your blood pressure every two minutes while you're struggling to breathe. So, you know, the whole idea is it's a vasodilation, you know, know, globally. So, yes, it's dropping. It's it's dropping. Um, And, again, if I'm compensating... That's okay at the moment. And then I'm going to decompensate. And, you know, we talk about 
you know, getting to that worst state of shock, which is, you know, refractory, you know. And as we've discussed, it's just the inability for us to get oxygen to the tissue. And then get distributive shock, cardiogenic shock, you know, so that's all it is. Just we need to get oxygen to the tissues and we need to take away, you know, the products that it leaves behind. Hmm. What would, in, in your experience, what would say you've come across most as for anaphylactic reaction? Is there common medic- medication? Oh, I think, you know, these days, you know, if we look at the, the research now, you know, peanuts with kids, you know, shellfish, you know, I'm, I'm, I, can't, I can't have fresh shellfish. Um, you know, lips swell up, you know, you feel like, whoa, you know, some things are starting to, um, you know, constrict and breathing's not that good, so... Um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the schools obviously have that real issue. But, you know, penicillin is another one where we've got a massive amount of people who are allergic to, you know, sulphur drugs and you know, strawberries and things like these. And it's all, you know, the, you know, I think we discussed this before, is that, you know, first time you may not have that hypersensitivity um, reaction to it. But then as the body looks at you know, some sort of antigen and starts developing, you know, help T-cells and then, you know, go into making IgE antibodies, which then attach to or with mast cells see this antigen and then, yeah, go fairly crazy. Mm-hmm. Where usually it's we don't have those reactions. So I'm lucky. I've, I've never been in a position of, you know, having a life-threatening anaphylactic reaction uh, all my reactions are pretty localised, even though they're not great. But um, I've definitely been around and treated people who have... And one classic one was, yeah, again, food allergy. Um, it was at a, at a site where they used cutlery and they threw the tongs in one and threw it in another and they went to the one that didn't have it. But because of that cross-contamination... Um, yeah, they suddenly had this massive, massive anaphylactic reaction. And I've, I've heard of stories of, you know, peanut allergies walking in somewhere where they're cooking with peanut oil and suddenly just going crazy. Those IgN antibodies just react as soon as... And then you just go, wow, they're, they're breathing that in. They haven't even poured it in and suddenly some things like that going. So it is a, it's a massive issue, you know, kids these days i don't know if it's more prevalent these days than it was back in my young days but um it seems like it's getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and we we talk about the skin doing a skin assessment mm-hmm. uh, with anaphylaxis what are we going to see their skin look like is there things we're going to look out for or we'll go back to thinking of you know what's being released and we talk about histamine release and what a histamine release, what can that do to the skin? And, you know, we can, you know, as we discussed, you know, mottled skin, we get hives, we have this hyper-reaction you know, from our skin. So, again, it's just one of those inflammatory processes which we can look at and go, wow, okay. And, you know, we go back to, get back to the basics of saying, you know, this, you know is this going to kill them? Is my primary assessment is something I need to do something, you know. Airway, breathing, circulation, come back to it and go, wow, starting to breathe. Circulation's not going to be good, hypoperfused. So let's start treating it as soon as we can. Mm, definitely. Um, the management of a patient or treatment yep. of a patient with anaphylactic shock, I feel like it's pretty straightforward and adrenaline would yeah. be the go-to. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. So what does adrenaline do? As a constrict. Vasoconstrict. Yeah, bronchodilate. Bronchodilate. There we go. And what's the underlying cause? Uh, so the, the histamines, right? Histamine so release, what are we yeah. going to use? Antihistamines. Antihistamines, mm. absolutely. Mm. If we've had that fluid shift, you know, we can then look at, you know, replacing that fluid as well. So if it's in that life-threatening condition and we had the great, you know, sort of the perfect scenario, you know, would we put some fluids into them? It's an option. But, you know, if they started coming good by just, again, instead of vasodilating, I'm sort of, you know, vasoconstricting. I'm now opening the bronchioles so I can breathe. 
I'm now, you know, looking at the histamines and I've got some antihistamines where I can block that as well. And, you know, are there corticosteroids we use? There are in certain cases. Um, so there's those sorts of things. There's some basic other things, you know, we can use some ice and we can get people to settle down and, you know, get their anxiety away. But um, in a life-threatening condition, spot on. Mm. So, you know, even then, you know, what? how much do I give to them? 0.5. 0. 0.5 yeah. starts, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's mm. our gold standard. Um, we still give them, you know, EpiPens with 300 in, yet we're telling them we need to, you know, do 0.5. Mm. Um, you know, there's a couple of things to think about after it, and we have what we call a biphasic events in cer- certain circumstances, which can lead up probably about 24 hours that people can have this repeat um, biphasic event. Um, so again, from a monitoring point of view, just make sure that we let people know that, you know, if you are feeling ill again, this is what we, what, what you need to do. Um, so that's something from our perspective to make sure that we understand that may happen. Yeah, I think we've covered that pretty well, yep. epileptic shock. Yep. Right, the septic shock. That's our next one. Septic shock, wow. It's quite, quite interesting. It's a quite in-depth one. I think this will be the longer one for sure. <laughs> um, we'll just talk about sep- sepsis briefly. Hmm. Um, what is your understanding of sepsis? Well, you know, there's certain things, and we talk about, you know, people having being bacteremic or septicemic and, or septicemia and we talk about you know bacteria in the blood and we talk about you know if the bacteria get out of control because me and you regularly have bacteria in our blood and we don't become septic our body does a really good job at fighting it off and you know getting rid of that bacteria but septic and septicemia is now bacteria sort of being out of control and our body's not controlling it as well as it wants to so we get into this septic situation is someone who's septic going to die all the time no 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 our body handles even septicemia really well and we've got different processes and different areas sort of stages of septic but then we come down to you know that acute septic shock that's when we're in trouble Mm. That's when we're in trouble. Yeah, yep. So, uh, causes septic shock mostly a bacterial infection in the blood. Well, bacterial. I yep. mean, you know, we've yep. talk talk about you know, gram positive and gram negative bacteria, and we talk about you know, gram negative, which is you know, releases endotoxins, which is the big bad guy. They're the ones that really create a lot of issues. We do have you know the gram positive, which release different toxins um are they as bad yeah they are but you know we tend to find you know people in septic shock really getting into you know the endotoxins really their release really creates this situation of vasodilation global vasodilation which then creates that distributive shock state which then comes back to the basics of going if I can't perfuse my tissues then you know we we've got we got we've got problems in that you know it goes into ischemia goes into necrosis and if we don't fix it we're going to have some organ failure mm. multiple organ failure nods you know then just goes into the next level <laughs> mm. so when so endotoxins are in the blood they're released by the bacteria they're going to jump onto the vessels and release mast cells and... Yeah, I mean, endotoxins do a lot a lot mm. of things, but one of them, obviously, is that it creates this vasodilation. And you also think, you know, we've suddenly got tissues being... being you know, the, the bacteria start destroying tissue. And you talk about what happens when tissues get destroyed we create inflammation so we have suddenly inflammatory processes at work as well so i've got a septic condition now i've got a massive inflammatory situation going on as well 
So, you know, the, the result of this is that we have this, you know, this vascular resistance, sorry, this vascular, you know, my SVR, my systemic vascular resistance just drops to the, um, you know, I won't say to the toilet, but I'll say into the toilet. Mm. Um, and then there's a lot of other things that are happening there as well, mm. um, which, you know, we talk about, you know, the sepsis, surviving sepsis campaign and how we actually quantify or can diagnose sepsis or severe sepsis. Um, you know, when me and you turn up to someone who's really, really sick, am I going to have the ability to take a blood sample or we're not going to be able to do that. So a lot of this is based on what we see and, you know, we talk about I mean, as you're going to say, you talk about, you know, hot and warm and cold shock and, um, you know, what's the body doing at that precise moment to be hot, be warm, be cold. So, so yeah, the warm phase and cold phase of septic shock I found quite interesting. Could you just go into the warm phase of septic shock, just the early stage of yep. septic shock and why the warm and cold are different? Well, I mean, with, with you know, that inflammatory process of, you know, those four and five... You know, causes of of inflammation of you know heat redness pain swelling joint immobility um, part of that obviously is the heat and you know I think we talk about you know, septic shock being the the one hot shock you know most of them you know we're talking about you know pushing f you know the, the the fluids into the brain and the heart and trying to dilate. Um, trying to, sorry, trying to constrict and move things to the areas we want. As it becomes more and more dilated, then we start seeing you know, that the, the fluid shifting into other areas. So, from a hot point of view, in septic shock, you know we've now vasodilated peripherally. That that blood and the inflammatory process is now you know, sort of taking over. And a part of that inflammatory process is, yeah, is, is you know, is heat and, you know, you know compensated. Or even if we're vasodilated, we can still be compensating through my heart rate um, so to push fluid around my body. Mm. So that's our, our warm phases, we're still compensating. Yes, our yes. Cardiac output is trying to stay... Correct. ...at a good level. Cardiac um, output is... Yeah, stroke volume, heart rate. <laughs> heart rate, stroke volume, mm. that's it. Mm. Yep, yep. So compensating, again, my body's still working hard to correct itself. Mm. And then the, the, cold, the cold phase of septic shock is basically that's going towards a progressive type of stage of cardiac output. The heart isn't able to compensate. Correct. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. Mm. obviously we're not pushing fluid into the peripheries. And we're starting to lose all that distribution is not getting out to the peripheries now. Mm. I mean, the other really important thing here is that, you know, we talk about this immune response from exo endotoxins. Uh, I mean, that, you know, we, we look at where, you know, in our little messengers, our little cytokines and chemokines and, you know, these little proteins that run around our body you know, going to different areas of our body, trying to react to this septic approach. Mm. And one of them, obviously, is we go to, when we talk about fever and, you know, people who are sick and they've got a fever, how does that happen? And uh, part of this process is that we get to little cytokines that run up to, and there's a long process. It's not just, you know, we take the car up to the hypothalamus and, get up there and grab this thing and move it <laughs> so you know, it goes to our heat regulation center which then we can adjust through the use of prostaglandins and pge5 pge5 uh, pge2 sorry and the prostaglandins have the effect to manipulate our body temperature and uh, a part of heating our body up is that we will now push our normal pro normal sort of 
36 and a half, 37 degrees, and it could push it up to 38 degrees, 39, 40 degrees. Um, and why, why do I want to heat my body up when I'm in septic your, position? Your immune system works immune much better. Perfect. Yeah. yeah immune system works better. Um, bacteria don't proliferate and sort of as well in that condition. So our bodies, you know, always going back to getting whoever made this thing uh, has done a pretty good job. <laughs> um, and, you know, and we have, we come across this a lot in that, you know, we want to heat up our body, but people were giving us things to not heat up our body. So you'll find that, you know, running the course of a, you know, a disease or a fever is in these conditions probably better but you know it's a touchy it's it's you know you know doctors make decisions based on the outcomes and the good of the patient um if they say they want to give you and because i just said that prostaglandins are the that that messenger which alters our our state of um temperature body in our body um if i want to start giving you a prostaglandin inhibitor then I'm going to stop you heating up which is sort of counterproductive sometimes yeah so um, say you've got, you've got to a scene and there's a patient presenting with septic shock what are you looking for, what are they going to present like yep, um, just the signs and symptoms yep, Again, probably you know we go back to you know airway breathing circulation going into a secondary so we're looking at our vital signs I mean I'm looking at someone and going yeah there's something going on um, can I do again can I you know come up with differentials absolutely um, is it hard to spot again we're getting going to get a little bit of a history we need to react on this fairly quickly because there are some places where someone has been that sick and you know I think I spoke about a, a case I had where you know, there was a guy who went out to a mine site you know, first time ever got a job he was wrapped you know happy as a pig um, in mud and uh, he came out unfortunately with a with some bacterial buildup which I think might have been a some sort of abscess um, wasn't feeling well the next day and then stayed in his room for three days and uh, they didn't follow up and by the time we got there my, this this poor guy wow it was he was struggling and um, you know we'll go into the treatment protocols and what we did but um, you know it just goes to show that you know if I just leave this thing run its course and there's nothing you know my body becomes you know, immunocompromised because I, for one reason or another, then, yeah, and I think I've spoke before, is that, you know, if all the tissues start to fall apart, we don't have the ability to create energy for them, then that's moving into that refractory stage. And my body can't, it won't recover. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it went off, I went off. That's all right. That's a little bit there. That's fine. <laughs> so we're going to see high respirations. Yep. Um, just can you just explain why we're going to see high rests? Well, yeah, you, you know, we're going back to, you know, what what gives me high respirate rest rate? Um, what's my body doing? What's it trying to do? And you know, we talk about you know anaerobic. If my tissues aren't getting oxygen, and we're using other forms of energy to create that then you know we're going to start creating lactic acid lactic acid in my body then will create some sort of metabolic acidosis which then we will start breathe trying to breathe it off a little bit quicker so we can definitely see increased respirations Mm. definitely Um, the skin how how will the, the skin look in a septic shock patient Yep, yep, good point. Um, if, if it's a localised to a certain area, but, you know, we talk about, you know, people in septic shock who have got pneumonia, you know. What, what is my skin going to look like with someone who's got pneumonia? You know, it's, um, it's going to be different to someone having a 
massive abscess somewhere which has become septic. So, you know, come back to that inflammatory process of thinking of what am I going to see from, from an inflammation point of view. So heat, redness, swelling, those sorts of things. And you'll start looking at things going, you know, where is this? You know, is there a source that I can see? Or is this, is, is it sort of hiding somewhere in the body, in, the, in all the, you know, the, the lungs? Or, you know, we talk about, you know, endocarditis and all these sorts of, you know, inflammatory processes and septic sort of within our system. And, you know, it's anywhere, in any organ, which is hard to see. Mm. Mm. It's a treatment. Um, what would yep. you say in your experience? What would you, how would you treat a okay. patient? So treatment, what is, what's going on? Why, why is someone going to die in front of me? Okay. Again, we're septic, so we need to start antibiotics straight away. We have, you know, within, you know, the whole recommendations of, you know, the surviving sepsis campaign is that, you know, we want to try to get things corrected very, very quickly. And then if I'm in a remote environment... I don't have the ability to become very specific at what I'm going to give this person. We talk talk about, you know, the stewardship of looking after medicines and looking after people. And what we've done so far in our history of becoming resistant to a lot of antibiotics, we try to make it very specific. But if I can't get that answer straight away... I need to go very broad with what I'm going to give someone. So depending on what, and look, there's, you know, if it is, if we can sort of bring a differential to a, a certain organ, um, then we may be able to dig, be a little bit more specific. But most times we'll go very broad. Um, you know, and we were discussing before about, you know, um, what were we discussing? Which drug? Ceftriaxone. Ceftriaxone, which is a, which is a, broad spectrum. Broad yeah. spectrum. Mm. Yep. Cephalosporin. So exactly. So that um, there are some you know golden bullets that we have, which we can go very broad. But you know again, if, the more and more we use those, the more and more opportunity for bacteria to become very smart, and then so you know some of the carbapenems and meropenem and you know, there's there's things there that which, which still got a lot of value, um, but we need to look after them very, very closely. But, you know, I've got this person who's very, very sick and could die. And, you know, ceftriaxone in a young child who's been at home for a couple of days and, you know, the parents haven't taken him to hospital, may not survive a trip. So we need to start definitely sort of reacting straight away to that. So hence we start looking after the underlying cause. Within that, you know, we talk about this is a distributive shock, so what do I need to do? You know, well, I need to look at possibly putting some volume back into this person because maybe we've shifted some of that fluid as well. Um, and then we do, you know, a fluid challenge. You know, fluid challenges go from 20 to 30 mil per keg. Um, you know, with little kids, it could be a little bit more. Um, and there's people, you know, that, that's a lot. You know, if I'm looking at a 100 kilo guy and I'm doing a 30 mil over the course of, you know, two or three hours, we're throwing in three litres of fluid. Easily, easily done, easily done. And there's ways to obviously assess if that fluid is working and if our blood pressure is going up, do I need then to use a vasopressor? Or, you know, am I giving him a fluid challenge and we're not getting much reaction? So maybe then we need to go and look at, you know, vasoconstricting the system so I can get that blood pressure back up and uh, keep that volume coming into the brain, into the heart. Mm, definitely. Well, so again, you know, so I've got, you know, we're looking at antibiotics, we're looking at fluids... We're looking at, you know, do we want to put, you know, do we look at the fever and go, you know, we want to, you know, give them something for that. You know, they're, they're you know, decisions we'll make there and then. 
um, vasopressors. So all every, everything and everything. Mm. You know, keep monitoring. Obviously, we have a baseline when we start, and then we're going to see how things are reacting as we start utilising, you know, certain drugs. Yeah, that's that's really good. Our septic shot, quite quite interesting. Um, there's a lot to dive into. There's a lot of different chemical mediators and things like that that do a lot of different things to the body. Yep, yep. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing, you know, just understanding, you know, why is why process is going on, and just trying to understand you know we've got interleukins we've got you know chemokines we've got chemotactic agents we've got all these sorts of things which you know there's a there's a system to it um well i'm no, I'm no expert at this believe me that's <laughs> and the more and more you dig into it you know it becomes even more and i would say confusing but it becomes very um integrated into a system that you know i haven't been taught it or I know a little bit about it, I don't know, you know, but then, you know, my job, what do I need to know? And, you know, how do I come up with some sort of differential and a provisional diagnosis to start some sort of treatment plan? Mm. Awesome. Yeah. So, so we'll just do a bit of a summary of distributive yep. shock. So um, just before we do, any, any important things you would hand over to the hospital or receiving facility? Oh, look, I think... You know, it's like everything. If you're dealing with very sick people, you want to be very structured about what you've given them, what you saw. I mean, you can do an IMS Dambo, you can do this, you know, great long handover. But be very, very specific to what you did, when you gave it, how much you gave, and they want to know what response has happened. So if I'm getting a really good positive response and I'm, you know, this this person's starting to come back and you know, having good vitals, that's the main thing. They just want to know what you've done and how much you've given. And, you know, if we're bringing in someone who's really, really sick and we haven't had too much um, things go right for us, then we need to just tell them what we've done. You know, there's, there's things in a hospital they can do that we can't in a pre-hospital environment. Even if we have all the bells and whistles um you know i can go and have a look at you know volume status with a point of care ultrasound and tell them that you know the ivc is now sort of descended and i can measure it and you know we're starting to get some response from that but at the end of the day if this person's not getting better and you know we talk about you know those different stages of shock and sometimes you know we're going to be in a refractory shock period where Maybe it may improve a little bit, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's um, our body's just not going to recover. So, handover-wise, just be very, very diligent with a handover. Um, stay calm. Tell me exactly what you've given, when you've given, and what response you've had. Awesome, awesome. Um, advice for any students, just with anything with distributive shock identifying it i think you know and i've discussed with with yourself is that you need to understand what shock is you need to understand the different shock states because most of what we deal with is all about the perfusion of the body and then my inability to do that becomes the problem and whatever that underlying cause is um, then we need to have a look and see how we can treat it. One other distributive shock, just a quick one. Neurogenic. Yeah. Neurogenic. Yeah. So, you know, even break down the name, neuro being nerves, genic being, you know, the creation of, so it's all come from the nervous system. And um, we, at the end of the day, we're looking at, you know, doing something possibly to a spine, a spinal injury, which has then inhibited my body to be able to work its sympathetic system. And if I cut out sympathetic activation, then I may have unopposed, you know, parasympathetic uh, innovation. And we know what parasympathetic system does. That's my rest and digest. And if I don't have the ability to speed up my heart and do all these sorts of things, then you know, we possibly become bradycardic 
and you know we talk about you know stroke volume and all these sorts of things so again we're now going into that system where we're going to possibly vasodilate again globally and we've got nothing that's going to help it even from a compensatory point of view you know you can do this from you know some sort of spinal injury it might be someone coming off a bike it could be someone playing football and they get a big whack and that may inhibit now they will more than likely come good but we know there's cases where we've had you know back fractures which unfortunately have now rendered people you know unable to you know to work their own system with their own automated system so so, so neurogenic is basically it's just a bit different to anaphylactic and um, septic it's just where we don't have any compensatory mechanism because that sympathetic drive is shut off correct mm. correct and you know just keep on thinking if there's no sympathetic drive what is our you know what is you know adrenaline do to my system it vasodilates it bronchos constricts so I'm losing all that so um Vaso, sorry, vasoconstriction is now going to become vasodilated. And it's the same thing. Septic shock and anaphylactic shock. It's the same process. And there are systems within there too that um, will then become very permeable, which will then lead to, you know, distributing fluids out of the vasculature as well. Um, what do we do for these people? Get them to hospital. Get them to hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we need to support? You know, you look at it and go, what do I need to support? You know, do I give them... So I've got drugs I can use that will, you know, activate from a drug point of view. You know, can we... Do we need to possibly pace people? Do we need to... But look, at the end of the day, do we need to support them with fluids? All those and above, you know, we get a couple of large ball cannulas in there let's keep a vein open let's get some fluids in you know do we use vasodilators do we use you know noradrenaline so they're decisions you can make and then a lot of it will come back to i've got a baseline and i need to improve it you know and we talked about mean arterial pressure the other day uh, very very important to go you know what do what what's the bottom line on what i can do and how fast, how hard do I push them? Do I push their blood pressure right back up? Do I keep it as mean arterial pressure of just above 65? But you, you again, you, a lot of it will come down to, you know, my baseline was this, and now it's starting to improve. So I'm now getting that oxygenation around that body, which is what I need to do. Neurogenic. That's it's it's very interesting. Neurogenic it as is, well. It's um it is. just because it's so well, it's not so different, but just how there's just no sympathetic drive. That's yep. yeah, yep. very very interesting. That's right. And I suppose you know I've said to to yourself is that you know where does where do the nerves come from? You know, driving my sympathetic tone. And that's you know we talk about from I would say T1 down to you know L3. You know that area there. And, you know, if I've blocked off all that, and then we talk about the parasympathetic system, and, you know, where the, where's the nerve innovation from that? Vagus nerve. Vagus nerve. So mm. cranial nerve. So from a cranial nerve, which didn't hit my head, I hit my back, then one's working and one's not. The parasympathetic system is, you know, is not affected, so it drives where the sympathetic system is now being sort of stopped in its tracks. Um, and as I said, you know, sometimes that will improve um, with, a time, with um, some time in hospital. Or maybe, you know, I don't think he's going to go home anyway. <laughs> and with neurogenic shock, are you going to say you do an injury to your spinal cord? Does it matter where you do it? Say if you've done it in the, the lower region of your back or up in the cervical spine? Is there, you're going to see different things? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, again, we're talking about that, you know, the lumbar. So the, the thoracic through to the lumbar, there's quite a lot of them. The plexus is run off. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, higher C-spine injuries 
I mean, the problem with, you know, C3, 4, and 5 keeps the diaphragm alive is that, you know, if I sever or do something, you know, high up in the cervical spine, then, you know, I'm just going to stop my ability to breathe. So it's not really what we're talking about here. It's just stopping the innovation of that nerve to drive my diaphragm. So, you know, come down a little bit lower, and that's when we start talking about, you know, these, you know, spinal shock, which is a distributed shock. Mm. Mm. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really good. I think we've, we've covered all three bases really well. Yeah. Very informative. Yes, well, hopefully, you know, again, I, we, we sit here and try to learn these things, and so do I, just like you. Um, sometimes, you know, just understanding the process and learning the process just helps mm. us make some sort of differential out of it. Mm. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, we come up with some sort of treatment plan for what we believe is the condition in front of us. And always remember, we've got friends, we've got a phone, we, you know, that whole danger response, send for help, you know, airway breathing circulation, and, you know, from a shock point of view, that is, you know, the inability to get oxygen around the body which then creates ischemia, which creates necrosis. And ultimately, if we don't fix it, then it becomes, you know, organ failure. Mm. Definitely. It's, um, it's a scary thing, but I feel like if you understand it, you can recognise it, uh, definitely will help you a lot Great. in the future. Thank you.